Welcome to Holding Down the Fort, a podcast show dedicated to curating knowledge, resources, and relevant stories so military spouses can continue to make confident and informed decisions for their families. Because, let's face it, we know who's really holding down the fort. I'm Jen Amos, a Gold Star daughter, a veteran spouse, and your host for today's show. Let's get started. everyone, Jen Amos here, your host for Holding Down the Fort podcast, and uh, soon to be co-host actually, because this is the final episode for season two of Holding Down the Fort, and for season three, I'll be having a co-host joining me, so some exciting things to look forward to in the next season. So I'm thrilled for this final episode. I have asked my husband, Scott R. Tucker, who is the founder and CEO of US Vet Wealth, Uh, which is the company that I work for and also is the sponsor for Holding Down the Fort. He is joining me today to talk about a couple of things, but before we go into that, I just want to do some housekeeping. First of all, while we're off season, I highly encourage you to stay updated with Holding Down the Fort by signing up for our newsletter, which you can find in the show notes of this episode or by visiting the website holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. This newsletter will announce when we will be starting up season three, and I'll also continue to curate knowledge, resources, and relevant stories from the past guests we've had on our show. So even though we are off season, our newsletter will continue to keep you updated. So once again, I highly encourage you to stay in touch with us by signing up for our newsletter, by checking out the show notes of this episode, or visiting the website holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. So for this last episode of season two, My husband and I thought it would be super fun to do a live stream of the final episode via Facebook Live. You could actually watch the Facebook Live replay by visiting our Facebook page, Holding Down the Fort podcast. I will also provide that in the show notes. And you can also get the edited version of the video, which will be similar to the audio of this podcast episode on our new YouTube channel. The new YouTube channel link is provided on our website already. So if you would like to subscribe, you can visit holdingdownthefortpodcast.com and in the top right of the website, you'll see our social media links and there you'll find the YouTube channel in which you are more than welcome to subscribe to. At the time of this recording, we are still moving a bunch of our videos on there, including audio from our first season of Holding Down the Fort. So just bear with us if you happen to subscribe right now. But before you know it, at least by season three, you will see all of the videos and audio replays of our shows on our YouTube channel. All right, so for this final conversation that I'm fortunate to have with my husband, we will be celebrating holding down the fort's one year anniversary. We actually started in summer 2019, so it's just been really cool to be nearing 50 episodes at the time of this recording. So we'll be talking a little bit about that. We'll be sharing how Holding Down the Fort actually got started, which includes my husband's story, how he transitioned out of the military, and how he fell into financial services. And in his work as a financial advisor almost a decade ago, he saw the unique needs for our veterans and military families. Just want to give you the heads up, we roll up our sleeves and get pretty raw and candid about our perspectives on financial education and what is available today for our veterans, military spouses, and children. 
Some of the topics we really delve into in this interview is the Survivor Benefit Plan, or SBP for short, as well as college funding options and alternatives for our children. Last but not least, Scott also hints at what he considers the modern wealth building tool today, and spoiler alert, it's LinkedIn. In closing, I just want to personally thank all of you who have subscribed to the show, left reviews, our avid listeners who've participated in being a guest in our show or even engaging with us and sharing our content. I'm extremely grateful for you all. It's my hope that this show has given you at least one piece of knowledge, resource, or relevant story so you can continue to make confident and informed decisions for you and your family. It's been an absolute pleasure being your host. I've personally learned a lot about our military community today, thanks to all of you. And I look forward to speaking with you all again in season three of Holding Down the Fort. Please take care of yourselves, stay safe, stay healthy, stay sane, and please enjoy this candid interview I have with my husband, Scott R. Tucker. Okay. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the season finale of Holding Down the Fort for season two. I'm Jen Amos, your host, and I'm really excited. I wanted to wrap up this season bringing back my husband who actually started the show with me. And he's been a guest every now and then, partly because our company is the sponsor for Holding Down the Fort. So let me go ahead and introduce him. Scott R. Tucker is a West Point O2 grad, veteran and founder of US Vet Wealth. He separated from the military in late 2008 and began a career as a financial advisor serving American military and DOD personnel stationed in Stuttgart, Germany. Today, with U.S. Fed Wealth and his podcast show, Wealth and Liberty, Scott brings valuable experience and insight to those who have sacrificed so much in service to our country through topics such as identity, self-development, and financial control. He's also my husband. So, honey, welcome to the show. (laughs) Can you hear me? <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, yes, honey. Can I do Can I? Do you need me to be a guest today? Yeah, I think you need to hold up the cup a little bit higher, closer to the camera so everyone can see. <laughs> mm. uh, no, it's just coffee. But the, <laughs> sure. Vietnamese, the new Vietnamese coffee, it's really good. So since the pandemic has started, we have been doing a lot of in-home stuff. So we have an in-home garden. We have kombucha. And one thing that Scott knows about me is that I am obsessed with boba. And so we finally decided to figure out how to make it at home. And come to my surprise, it's actually a lot easier to make boba than I had thought. So so thanks, honey, for looking it up on Amazon and buying the ingredients we need to make Vietnamese coffee at home. Right. Today, what I want to do is give you a little overview of what we're going to be talking about today. So I brought Scott on because this show wouldn't have been possible if it wasn't for our colleagues for coming up with the concept and coming up with the need for why we needed to do Holding Down the Four and the name. And so I wanted to bring Scott on to talk a little bit about that. So if you can just introduce yourself a little bit and share from your perspective, a little history about how Holding Down the Four came about and you know why we've been doing it for over a year now. Wow. Well, First off, congratulations on a year already. It's crazy to think. Well, it's, I realized today was July 19th and it's like, oh my gosh, this month's <laughs> already gone, you know? But yeah, I mean, what it really came down to was 
you know, not just last year did we notice this. It's it's been years of recognizing this. And I think from my experience, you know, the problems around when I say this, I mean the problems around the lack of proper communication to the military spouses about the various things about military life and actually the stuff that's slightly outside of military life that really is has to do with the individual it doesn't have to do with the military life as a whole and since the assumption kind of is that's all wrapped in nobody's properly you know explaining hey it's not you know education mm-hmm. jobs money how you deal with your finance like all that that's up to you and frankly everybody's still different just because you have the same rank same uniform we got to stop you know, acting that way. So anyways, in the financial space, I mean, you can talk about that in any you know, space or whatever, but in the financial world, I, you know, I came to realize that, you know, at the end of the day, if the spouse isn't involved in the decision-making process, because usually a military family, the wife would do the budget and the service member, assuming it's the male, female in that direction, of course, but would usually do the kind of a long-term investment. I mean, hey, it's their career. We're staying in for 20 because of the veteran to get that pension. You think about the long-term stuff, you know, all hold down the fort mm-hmm. and deal with the budgets and stuff. And so, you know, as we in San Diego um, got to get very close with Stephanie Brown and the Rosie Network, you know, understanding the military spouse perspective from what she taught us. And then as we you know, started to spread the word about U.S. vet wealth and what we're doing. Ultimately, our main kind of bread and butter, the one thing we do different than anybody else, and it's so radically different, is the pension protection, the survivor benefit plan alternative. And it's better for not just the veterans, it's better for the spouse, it's better for the family. But the conversation around that topic rarely makes it to the military spouse unless there's some you know confusion about whether or not it's the best benefit. And by and large, you know, 80% of career returning military end up kind of opting into that simply because, you know, the spouse is like, hey, if something happens to you, I need my portion of that pension. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, that's a very, very simplistic way to look at it. And, you know, what other aspects of this military life, family life, and, and you know, entering the veteran family life are being missed? Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we saw an opportunity last year when you started to even recognize yourself, you know, about like, huh, you know, I was a military brat or a military child for a while. <laughs> and then when you lost your father, you all of a sudden you know, stepped out of that world when for a while. And, and then when you met me, all of a sudden you're back in thinking about veterans and military families and, and you almost felt like you didn't have that identity. And it's like, well, of course you do. Like, just because you didn't know me while I was active duty, you still get all the baggage, right? <laughs> and oh, by the way, just because you were a kid and then your family left the military directly, you know, you still receive the benefits from it for your college, for example. And I know that's a you know, topic of today's discussion, so maybe that'd be relevant <laughs> to get your perspective. But, you know, that's where we realized there isn't anybody talking to the military spouse about this. And you wanted to re-engage with that community because you saw you know, value that you could you know, provide there. And our buddy in California said, I know what to call it, holding down the fort, you know? And so... Yeah, it was really cool because we're just having an open conversation about it. I think we all knew at the same time 
that, I mean, for me personally, I was working with a bunch of veteran officers, like you all, you know, very, for me, in my perspective, very hyper masculine <laughs> environment. And, you know, and so therefore, your guys' focus, guys, meaning, yeah, I mainly work with men in this industry, or at least in our company, your focus was on the veteran. However, we had come to find collectively that at the end of the day, we know that it's the spouse that's holding down the fort. We know it's the spouse that's making the financial decisions and really planning every PCS, whether it's a male or a female. It just so happens in this case, you know, I happen to be around a lot of men and a lot of spouses we tend to work with are women, but that's really diversified really in the recent decades, I think. Well, and actually it has, of course, except for in this industry. That's the mm. problem in the financial industry. It's still 90% you know, dudes, and usually, <laughs> usually, usually they're just, you know, old white guys that have been around for a long, long time, you know, and it's just, you know, they're remnants from the 80s. And, and you think yeah. about that, you know, 1980s style stockbroker financial movie. It's like, yeah, it's, it's still like that. But the opportunity, which is another thing I recognize is, hey, we wanted to communicate with the spouses more because, you know, what we learned from Rosie Network is you know the underemployment amongst military spouses or the difficulty to find employment. And then, you know, the way anybody's treated entering the financial industry, it's not conducive to military spouse or typically females, because it's just like kill, 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 you know, go yeah. go out and find clients and all that. Yeah. And it's ironically the females who do enter the industry and stick with it, they end up being the best of the best. But it's just a complete different mentality. Mm -hmm. Now that's still in the old school mindset of, you know, go network and schmooze with everybody and then bring them into the office and stuff. And so when I started going, you know, doing it all online and realizing, hey, we can speak directly to a specific audience. We don't have to go and you know, be fake to everybody. It's like, well, military spouses could be doing this like crazy. Because what we learned from VertForce is a lot of military spouses are looking for virtual work. And this is all pre-COVID, of course, right? Mm -hmm. Like they were already realizing the solution to this your military spouse problem, you know, because you might even have a nursing license, but not in the state of your next duty station, right? And so, mm -hmm. so many stupid limitations on getting work. It's like, got to go virtual. Mm -hmm. And COVID's, mm -hmm. COVID's only, you know, exasperated that as spouses are, I'm sure many people are forced to stay home because they keep closing the schools. You mm -hmm. know, it's, it's like mm -hmm. our world's changing right now in this industry, is you can do it now when it's virtual, you can make your own hours, work as much as you want, network with who you want, and make as much money as you want because it is the financial industry. It's, there is opportunity Let's yeah. put it that way, and it but it's not you know a salaried or an hourly thing, and you know, there's fear and concern there. I would argue the opposite direction to start recognizing that hey, when you stay stuck to that traditional approach, you know, which our education system, our college system brings people to is like, you have to get a job that, you know, as we state what that means. And therefore, it's just like, we only have this one path we can possibly go down to get an opportunity for income. And, you know, more and more military spouses are proven that's just not true at all. I mean, just in the military, you know, military spouse micro influencing community, if you look at Instagram accounts or military spouse bloggers, there's just so many. They've been around. They make money from their websites. And sometimes they build a, a real brand around it. And uh, sometimes it's just a way to give back. You know, whatever it means, at least we're doing something. They won't hire me because I'm a military spouse, which, yeah, that's unfortunate discrimination. It's probably true. So stop trying to do it is kind yeah. of, you know, the message we're trying to bring. 
let the ones who aren't willing to go develop the new skill sets, think outside the box, understand the new economy, the new opportunities going on right now. Let them have those jobs and fight over it. Because right yeah. now is a massive opportunity. If you build these skill sets, you know, if you know how to communicate and network in this space, then your opportunities are unlimited because it's not just, you know, sending a few resumes out. You can go and kind of do it in the reverse direction. And so we want to teach those modern digital skill sets, understand how that applies to money and self-development. So really you can get the financial control and the education, you know, usually self-education you need to create this identity we're all seeking where we're not just a rank or a uniform or the spouse of a rank or a uniform, you know, in this day and age, we're in America. Maslow's hierarchy of needs are well met. We are at the search for meaning level. And you see that every day in the streets right now, because mm. people have been so distracted by you know, this and, and video games and movies and everything else that they have no sense of purpose. So they find all sorts of things that are way out of anybody's control to try to fight and argue about when really you could take this opportunity and go do something about it, right? And so, you know, that's the theme behind everything we're doing, not just a vet wealth or my podcast, Wealth and Liberty, but ultimately I think you're part of the messaging that comes out of a podcast like yours holding down the fort is just simply opportunity to say, hey, maybe there's a different way. Yeah. Maybe there's some other approaches. And I know a lot of the guests that you have on are those people that have said, hey, I'm doing it differently. I'm not going to just wait and see what happens or wait until somebody gives me a job or an opportunity or say, oh, next duty station. Mm -hmm. Time is right now. Yeah. And I really appreciate you saying all that. And, you know, the way that you say it toward veterans, it's my hope to say it in a similar way toward our military spouses and our families. One thing I wanted to add early on, you mentioned a key word, which is self-education, which is what a lot of military spouses have to do. And what military children, such as myself as a Gold Star daughter, had to figure out decades later, <laughs> you know, of what resources were available to me, you know, while I was a military family. So we know that our military families are the silent heroes, you know, behind our service members. And let's not forget also that there are spouses who were former veterans. They get the best of both worlds, I think. And so just acknowledging how diverse the military community is and understanding that even though our spouses and families don't publicly get the accolades, that they are just as important and just as imperative to our military community. And so that's part of why I felt like I wanted to take the responsibility to do holding down the fort is to, you know, put our families in the forefront. And, you know, part of that comes from my background, as you had alluded to earlier, that we had transitioned out unexpectedly because we had lost my dad. We are a gold star family. You know, and I was so young, I didn't know what was available to me until really in the recent years when I started this podcast. I didn't even know that our family was labeled <laughs> as a gold star family. I didn't know that was a term, you know? So my hope is that with this show, and just like what you mentioned, and I want to emphasize this, my hope with this show is that our military families and spouses can find or seek out alternative resources and real stories that are happening today in our community in hopes that they can continue to make informed and confident decisions for themselves and their families. So thank you for elaborating in the history of you know, how we started and how this show is inspired. And here we are a year later, almost 50 episodes at this point. I can't even believe it as well. I haven't really been counting until I was ready to wrap up this I, season. I can't. I feel like you've just been up there recording podcasts the last year. <laughs> yeah. And if anyone's curious, Scott and I are actually in the same house. We're just in different rooms. <laughs>
<laughs> There's that. He has it set up downstairs and I have my setup in the home office. Well, Scott, aka my husband, I'm just going to call you Scott for the sake of this conversation. That's um, not that weird. <laughs> it is my name. I know, but it's just weird because I know I normally don't call yeah, you. Yeah, but that. you also just run around going, my husband, come here, my husband. <laughs> Do this, my husband. Get that bee out of the garage, my husband. Yes. So our garden, in case anyone's wondering, our in-home garden has attracted, uh, I don't know if they're called wasps or hornets, but they're like those really scary looking, <laughs> like ginormous ants with wings <laughs> that just are hanging out in our garage door. We have a bunch of holes on it that our, our landlord is helping us fix now, finally, one year later. Anyway. <laughs> okay, Scott. So obviously this time of the year, it's hard to say that we're doing business as normal. You know, a lot of things have happened, you know, pandemic, social distancing, a lot of current events that have impacted the world. And so with that context in mind, I'd love for you to share what life looks like for us today, you know, from your perspective. And what have you been most excited about lately in this time? Like, obviously, there's a lot of negative things we can say, but let's focus on the positive for this conversation. Yeah, I mean, while it's been a crazy time, ironically, I, I kind of wasn't really doing much different when it came to, um, you know, my kind of day-to-day activities. Like, yeah, we've been a little disappointed by the lack of, you know, extracurricular activities that we could participate in. Or I've kind of thought, you know what, some of that stuff was a waste of my time anyways. I wasn't really being productive. And, you know, maybe now's the time to really double down because I don't know what's coming out on the other side of this. Does anybody? Like the whole stock market crashed at the, at the end of February, beginning of March, like a 30% correction, like the biggest correction of all time type of a deal. And nobody noticed. Like that's mm-hmm. also never happened. The fact that nobody mentioned it, it's like, oh, because we were all distracted and stuff. And somehow it's kind of the markets come back up, which makes no sense when people aren't working. So there's just some weird stuff going on. Nobody knows what's going to happen on the other side. Oh, by the way, it's also the time of the greatest innovative change in all of human history. In you know, the few people who were on the front end of this, and we're still very early, but just 10, five, 10 years ago, if you actually five years ago, if you just started a podcast five years ago, you'd have been light year. And I remember sitting there five years ago because I just got a you know a reminder on a Facebook thing from something I did five years ago. I can't <laughs> believe it was that long. But it's like, oh, had we started this bet, you know, if start anything, you know, the best time to plant a tree is 20 years ago. The next best time is you know today type of a deal. Right. That said, you know, things are changing in the in the scope of when you can grasp opportunity. You know, you just go out and grab it right now using the internet and these things called phones. It's literally all you need. That and an idea and some motivation or whatever. But you know, so many folks are finding ways to participate in this. So I just recognized, you know, it's now or never, or it's just gonna kinda keep on dragging along trying to do things the old way. Cause I was still, I mean, even this week, you know, breaking down old beliefs of why I can or can't do something or how things are, should or shouldn't be, you know, given my you know, preconceptions of how I was trained to communicate with people, how I was trained to be a financial professional, like they're all limiting and sometimes very false beliefs. And so it's just, you got to chip them off one at a time. And, you know, when you're late to the game of chipping away at false beliefs, it takes a while because you've built up a lot of them, <laughs> you know? And so it's like, I'm not afraid to get in front of the camera and do all this stuff. Why haven't I been posting videos every day, all day? It's just, there's no real excuse. It's just, I thought I needed to do something before. I don't know. But <laughs> it's like, oh, you know, now we can go do that thing. And 
I mean, how There's easy no would fear. is it? How easy was it to just set this up? <laughs> it was pretty easy. Now, you know, I had gotten some cameras and some lights and practiced and understood how Zoom work, and I've done dozens and dozens, if not hundreds, of Zoom calls, let alone podcast interviews. You know, recorded my videos, put myself out there before, not gotten you know yelled at or in trouble. It's not that scary, <laughs> you know. And even if they do block them like cool i don't want to be your friend like that's you know there's there's so much it's just such a better way to, to one build relationships with people because you're actually networking anybody who's watching this they're meeting me they're learning about me and when the time's right i'll get to learn about them mm -hmm. and you know that's why everybody should be doing this at least on linkedin even if you already have a job like you know dig your well before you're thirsty who said that? Was that Zig Ziglar or Jim Rohn or whatever? But I'll have to Google that. <laughs> you know, it's it's like why not be? And frankly, you know, especially from the military and veteran community, we're the type of people who like to serve. We like to use the word duty. It's our duty. You know, it's an honor. Well, given that we have this technology, and given that we all know, you always have some sort of knowledge or experience that you could share with somebody else who's going through a situation you've gone through in the past, and maybe give them a little bit of insight. Doesn't require a degree, doesn't require a certification, doesn't require anything other than actually being helpful. And with the new technology, is it not your duty to find a way to communicate, to maybe end some suffering in somebody else's life, if you know it? That's what I recognize. Like, man, I know some things that I went through that caused a lot of suffering in my life. When I made some changes, I saw some other people, various forms of suffering in their life. They made some changes. Some of them, you know, got more freedom and time, like like I feel I've lived in the last few years, been hard work and all that. And some people, they keep at it long enough and they end up getting pretty darn wealthy in the rich sense. Now, I define wealth as more your time, because that's the whole point of working. You're working for money so that eventually you could take the money to buy your time in retirement, at least in the traditional education, work, you know, life, retire, mm -hmm. die model that we've all been told is how you're supposed to live for some reason. I just feel that we have this new opportunity right now where everybody can participate. It actually works better when everybody does because then you don't have people doing things they shouldn't be doing. They can all do what they really want to do. Now, it's never going to get that perfect. That's a utopia, but we can create an ecosystem through the internet to communicate with those who we know, like, trust, and those whom we're meant to serve. And, you know, that's the reality right now. And for the people that fight it or don't want to participate or just say, oh, I'm not good at that. I'm not good at computers or it's hard. It's like, sorry, but technology always wins. And this technology, this technology we have right now, it's not the model Ford T that a hundred years later is, you know, the first version of a Tesla, you know, that's progress. This stuff is happening overnight. I mean, look what Zoom itself. We're on Zoom right now. In December, Zoom had like, Something like two, 20 million daily users. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously a big number, but yeah. once COVID hit, it jumped to like 200. Yeah. And it became more valued than the airlines. Yeah. It's so, <laughs> it's, it's, it's I mean, what we need to recognize from our community, and this is what they lie to us about, or they don't know themselves because they're in the same boat. I say they, the people giving the, the guidance about how to get a job after the military, how to get a job as a military spouse, you know, go write resumes. I mean, what we got to remember is, all that training is based on curriculum. It has to go through governments. Like how long does that take and approvals and blah, 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 where they just contract out millions and millions of dollars to some company who's going to put together the perfect system to train everybody through it. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, 
this isn't a war. Like, this is people's individual lives. It doesn't work like that. But, you know, the prevailing myth is, well, whatever my job description was in the military, I just need to learn to translate it. Google, literally, this was their Super Bowl commercial. They created a translator. So it makes it sound like we're all idiots, mm-hmm. you know, that we can't, oh, we have to, you know, put it into a little car. Oh, my 11 Bravo, it tells me, oh, I can be a man, a project manager. It's like, man, we don't think people can go figure out what they want to do, what could be good at on their own. So I find that you know, very scary. And that's what's stifling the opportunity. And realize what I'm getting at is, oh, I think it's something like 33% of job descriptions today didn't exist 10 years ago. Social media manager. Like companies would hire that skill set like crazy. Are you going to get a degree for that? Do you need one? No, you need to be a 16-year-old kid who played around with this stuff and got good at it. Look at all the billionaire coders. These are all guys that dropped out of college and coded computers in their garages in the 70s, right? So that's all that's happening. And right now it's happening so damn fast that people are just going to miss it. And so that's my message to the veteran community, the military family community is awesome opportunity right now. But if you don't participate, it could get very bad. There's lots of risks for those in five, 10 years have none of those skill sets. One thing I want to add upon what you said is that I actually also think that this time with the pandemic is the perfect opportunity for military spouses to lead from the front. Because if you think about it, a lot of them have been so used to establishing a new normal after every PCS and learning to adapt and learning how to work from home and, you know, create those side hustles and everything. And now that the world, you know, I mean, you probably know the unemployment rate more than me in America right now. Uh, It keeps changing day by day. So, (laughs) Yeah. But you know, even those who are employed, who are told, you know, that are forced really to work from home, and they're absolutely not used to it. I think this is time for spouses to leave and say, like, this is normal for us, and know that this is really their time to thrive and to even teach others and be an example of what it's like to have already adapted to this type of lifestyle, even before all this happened. Right. We're definitely, um, I don't know, we'll talk about this in a few years. Remember, 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 it's like 9-11, right? I I don't like how it's being handled or how we're handling it as a society. But what are you going to do? You can only handle you in in your sphere of influence. And also another thing I want to add about our company, US Bet Wealth, I feel like, you know, the hard work we've done for a couple of years are really beginning to pay off. Because when people think about financial services, typically they think about your standard office, you know, they think about driving somewhere and going to an office and, you know, sitting down with someone, you know, with your financial advisor for a couple (laughs) hours, you know, to go over everything, right? Where since we've started, and even before I met you, when you were in Germany, I know that you did a lot of your client calls via video chat. And so now I can only wonder how other financial firms are adapting to this, because I also am aware, and we won't mention names, but you, you've told me and, and we've met other financial advisors who their initial training was to go door to door and yeah. sell their services that way. And, you know, when in social distancing today, I can only imagine what that looks like. But the point is, is that I feel like our business is set up for success. Like we've worked hard to get to a place in a time like this where it's more relevant to do things virtually. Yeah. I mean, the reality is in this industry, becoming a financial professional or advisor or planner or whatever, you're such a commoditized resource. Even if you get the certified financial planner thing, it's like, cool, there's now 50,000 other of those. Like, <laughs> you're not any different. 
And so the assumption is, well, I need the big name firm or I need that CFP certification to stand out and be different. And then I got to get this nice big office and look like it's all fancy. Mm-hmm. And, and then I got to do all these cool, you know, client appreciation events and golf tournaments, you know, whatever it is that the traditional model is, it's like one, look where all that money's going on all the time and energy. How is that really helping the client? And it's like, this is not going to a lawyer or a doctor or a dentist. I mean, mm-hmm. the reality is most people do their own financial planning because mm-hmm. you can. It's not really something you need to, you know, you cannot be your own doctor if you break your arm. Mm-hmm. Okay. You can pretty much. Now, you might have to use a professional to be able to own or to buy a particular product. You can't just go just because of the stupid regulations around everything. So it's like with cars, like you literally have to buy cars from car dealerships. Mm-hmm. Like there's weird laws and stuff around that. I mean, obviously not if you're buying from your neighbor or whatever, but like real estate, you know, you pretty much have to use a realtor. Anyways, that's kind of what's going on in the industry. And the reality is you know, most people don't like going in to meet with a financial professional because you know you got to lay out your whole life in front of them. And it's like, it's scary. It's embarrassing sometimes. Or, or you don't even know what you're in there for or what you want help for. You just know you're supposed to go talk to, oh, you should go talk to a financial planner or whatever. <laughs> it's like you could, or you could Google it and YouTube it in five, 10 minutes, probably get the answers you need. And anyways, this is where things are going. It's going to be more of this bite-sized type stuff because people don't have the attention. You don't have attention for a comprehensive financial plan. Oh, go drive across town through traffic, you know, go sit in the office, have a nice chit chat for an hour, then talk about some stuff, then go back and back, back and forth. And really it's, it's a show. Mm-hmm. It's a show to kind of justify, you know, people getting help to save money better. So that's good. I mean, there's net positives for f- folks who now are saving money they otherwise wouldn't have saved. I mean, that gives a better opportunity in the future. So poo-pooing the idea of having a professional help you, it's just understand what's really happening. And since there's a 95% turnover rate in this industry, you know, recognize that just by that stat alone, that, that nature, you know, the individual's you know, probably not going to be spending most of their time honing their craft or mastering their craft. They're just trying to survive and most don't. And so it's really, really hard to find a good fit because you don't know what you're actually seeing. And quite frankly, and this is where, you know, my struggle with, you know, chipping away the beliefs because my identity had become, oh, I'm now a a licensed financial professional. I got to pretend like I'm this expert. Like I know Mm -hmm. all like, and so whoever comes in, it would be, you know, an old, older couple with grandkids or young people, just, just the whole gamut of stuff. And, oh yeah, we're professionals at that. And, you know, the firms just kind of like, yeah, yeah, here's how you sell them this because of that. And it's like, okay, this isn't really financial play. This isn't really helpful because it's not actually motivating the people to do what they really want to do with their life. Yeah, maybe they've checked the box on saving for retirement or saving for their kid's college, Mm -hmm. you know, as perceived to be the proper way to do it. But just the lack of excitement, motivation about why are you going to your job? Like, why do you have the job to get your kids food on the table? Like, there's other ways to do that. Like, you're going to a job for an identity, for a paycheck, like to prove something to somebody. It didn't translate that for the folks, the few Americans who do actually save money, if they say they're saving 20% of their money for things like their retirement, you know, the real question is, and they're like 35 or 40 right now. And it's like, 
when you think about your priorities for the next two or three years, you know, given the, the economy we're in, the environment we're in, where things are moving very rapidly, where opportunities are showing up, you know, where people want to start businesses and they need some capital, whatever, you know, if you're working 60 hours a week in your job, that's 15 hours that you are now putting directly into retirement only type accounts, stuff that might be 20 years away. Mm-hmm. And that's where end, ends up all the money's going. And so it's not aligned with what folks are really want to do. The motivation is in the present and the now. Well, of course, of course, why we have a horrible savings rate for retirement, because nobody really expects, you know, if you were born 50, 60 years ago, you expected a pension lifestyle because that's right. how the world worked back then, you right. know, because of the industrial revolution. And then as things started to change and people started taking more control, mm-hmm. they forgot that they could also change how not that just they're saved for their future, but how they created their income too. And so right. this is what's been going on in, in recent decades. Yeah. And I think about the millennial generation that I'm a part of. And on average, the millennial has more than five or 10 jobs in the span of their lifetime, or even in, in the last decade. And so with that said, the way of saving money and investing money has to adapt to today's times and to the generation today. And as opposed to you know, the standard retirement plan that our traditional financial advisors are still educating on. And I think part of that too, I think about how I've recently met some new financial advisors, like ones that are new in the industry. And they all say the same thing. Like, let me help you with your retirement. Let me help you with like your financial goals. And I just think like, maybe that's what they're told, you know, by their mentors who've been in this for a long time. And I know for you, from personal experience, you just know at this point, that's completely outdated. And those mentors, they can say that because they've been in it for a long time. And because yeah. they already ha- they've already built that stability. But that, may, that type of education may not work for the new financial advisor in today's economy. Right. And because it doesn't set you apart, like I mentioned earlier. I mean, really, it's like, why do you need an individual, you know, corner, you know, mom and pop style financial advisor when Dave Ramsey's basically got the whole country and to tell, tell people how to do it, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Right. Like, how is he? He's essentially a financial advisor. I mean, actually, ironically, he's a media personality. He's not even a licensed traditional financial guy. Well, but- isn't it at the end of the day, he's not really, I mean, one, he is not licensed. And two, he's really promoting real estate, isn't he? Like at the end well, of the day? Well, no, he, no, he's a media empire. Okay. He might actually be licensed. I think he might own an investment advisory. I think what he does is he, he then sells through having certified realtors, certified financial planners. Mm. There's all sorts of other ways to make money when you're a media company, mm-hmm. right? And right. so they have recommended people around the country that they, they work with. But you know, that's all. It's just, yes, the world's changing and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, man, when basically everybody's saying how you're supposed to do things, when there are far too many factors and variables to consider that like, you're telling me everybody's supposed to do a Roth IRA. Everybody's <laughs> supposed to do a thrift savings plan. Everybody's supposed to buy term life insurance and save for 40 years in the stock market. And everybody's going to get 8% average return on the S&P 500. Like these are the stories we put into our financial planning software. That's all generic. Like people don't get it. When you get a printout of your financial plan, like this is the thing that some people pay thousands of dollars for. When you go to a fee only certified financial planner, they've now justified that they can charge for the financial planning, all this stuff that's going to go on where you know damn well it's a crapshoot beyond a couple of years. 
Mm-hmm. So what's the real advice here? What's the help? And by the way, you know, that software they use to print the whole thing out and everything, all the text in there, it's all prefabricated. It just depends on how you input the data and it'll just put the graphs and the charts that nobody really looks at and puts on a shelf and you'll still charge them $2,000 for it. It just kind of blows my mind that we're still kind of thinking this old school way and assuming that, well, it's, this is the standard. This is how it's always been done. We went to the trouble of creating this certified financial planner certification. That's a marketing thing, by the way. That's not like CPA. It's not government. It was a group that got together. They wanted to make the industry look better because basically everybody thought and still does think of a stockbroker, you know, selling, selling stocks or hawking life insurance or something. So a bunch of financial planners wanted to get together and increase the perceived value of the uh, industry or at least for them. And so they created the certification that you got to pay money for, spend a bunch of years for. And then there's now these stipulations of what, you know, you can only sell or do things this way. And therefore you say you're a fiduciary and you can only do what's in the best interest of your client. And so Mm -hmm. that technically means since I'm a fiduciary, you know, in those standards, if you tell someone to not do a 529 college savings plan, not do a Roth and not do a TSP before you recommend another strategy, you know, that's considered, you know, the the proper way of doing things. But it's like, I saw all my clients, I just saw so many people around, so many veterans, just miserable, not understanding money, trying to get jobs. I was like, how is any of this in their best interest? If we're all miserable and not doing things that are motivating them to participate in their life and their post-military life, you know, you know, I hate it when I hear guys say, I already had the best job ever, like, you know, when they were in right, the leading troops. Right, it's right. like, I'm sorry, man, you're 40. You, know, <laughs> you can't just, um, we got to do more. Otherwise, we see the risks, you know, the mental mm-hmm. health on that. And it's because of the stupid thing called money. Mm-hmm. So we have an opportunity to redefine it, to not be sold by the Wall Street marketing machine, by the government bureaucracy and take back control of this damn thing called your time and your money. Anyways, that's where it's like, if everybody's going that way, usually it means you should probably go the other way. Yeah. With that said, let's go ahead and shift gears and let's come back to the military family, particularly the military spouse. And what financial educational topic could we talk about today? And so today we want to talk a little bit about the college funding alternatives. And so I think my first question for you, Scott, is what do military families currently understand about what's available for their children's future education? Well, the first and foremost is the post 9-11 GI Bill. You know, that's a nice thing if they're not using it themselves or, you know, maybe they pass it off to their spouse while they're still active duty or they can, as long as they're still active duty, you could pass the benefit down to your kids. Everybody kind of knows that you get a certain amount of benefit, Mm -hmm. you know, good. I guess use the taxpayer dollars to pay for these overpriced universities that aren't really teaching anybody any modern skills. Especially, especially (laughs) like if we talk about right now, there's even a lot of college students that are, what's the word? They're like fighting against the school or rebelling. Yeah. Rebelling against like their own tuition fee because they are forced like, you know, these very (laughs) reputable colleges are forced well, first of all, all these kids got kicked out of their dorms even before they were able to pack up everything and forced to be on Zoom. And many schools, even in you know K to 12, are told that the fall semester is going to be primarily taught online. Yeah. The emperor wears no clothes. Like this COVID <laughs> thing, 
basically took out academia and kind of proved yeah. like, oh, like that. This is why, like, my sister teaches that at one of those online universities. Mm-hmm. She's like, nope, haven't had any change. <laughs> like, right, right. Like, still tons of students, tons of people. Because the school she works at, you're not like in a semester. Like, mm. she, she knows someone who completed their MBA in three months because they could just knock the classes out. Wow. And they were paying monthly flat fee. So the cost was only three months of cost versus, you know, pay for the whole thing. So once people started realizing they're paying their professors, you know, the salaries they're getting, and then, you know, that's also paying for, you know, all this campus luxury, when universities also have these huge endowments that they Mm -hmm. don't tap into, they probably got bailouts instead. And so it's like, what are you charging us for? What am I going and getting student loans for, for $50,000 a year Yeah, to be on Zoom and you're not a good Zoom teacher because you like to speak in front of large crowds? Yeah. You know, it's like this is switched like that. It showed that the value of university college is not what it's perceived to be. It's certainly not now, if it continues like this, worth the actual cost. You know, whether or not any you know college degree is worth it other than if you are only looking for those jobs that require it. Mm-hmm. But, you know, at this day and age, there's so many employers like, you have a skill set where you can solve a problem for me? Mm-hmm. Cool. Prove it. Do it. You know, there's your resume and your uh, job interview. I think this <laughs> is a good transition to talk about, you know, just what benefits were. I know you already mentioned the GI Bill, but what other mm-hmm. benefits are typically provided even for civilians, you know, to save up money for college. And and it's funny because with current events, I'm seeing very clearly that what is available just feels so obsolete now. Well, you know, and you've talked a lot about this, you know, in previous conversations and, and through our marketing material. So I'd like for you to dive into that. Yeah, well, I mean, the main thing that's going to come up is... Are you, oh my gosh, you just had a baby or you got some young kids. Are you saving for college? Have you saved your college (laughs) savings plan for them? You know, and it's like, it's like, oh yeah, I'm a parent. This is, oh, I I better do that. More priority than my own retirement or my own savings is the kid. You have no idea if, you know, even going to be interested in college 20 Mm -hmm. years from now, right? Or 18 years from now. But once it got kind of, I don't even know when it was invented or when it came into being available, but it was quickly taken up by the financial companies to market to young parents because it's quite easy to figure out from an advertising market perspective who just had a kid. And so they can market to them, like start your 529 savings. Now, the problem with 529 is they're state regulated. For some reason, they're like, each state has its own thing. Each state has its own thing with its own company. Mm -hmm. So like Virginia, I think only works with American funds. So there's whole websites on this to decide like, oh, how do you figure out which state to get your 529 plan? Because then you can get extra tax benefits if you go to school in that state. And just mm. all this crazy nuttiness. It makes it super complicated. There's different fees involved in the 529 benefit. What it is, it's like a Roth IRA. It's like money that you put in to a 529 after tax dollars can be used for higher education expenses without any tax. So the growth can all be tax deferred, and then you can use the money tax free. Okay, cool. If for only those purposes. The problems are one: we're still invested in the stock market, so we gotta we gotta hire that financial advisor to manage it for us. So what if your kid turned eighteen this year, and you had been in all you know lower risk portfolio? You thought, 
Um, and then the flu takes out the economy and all of a sudden, you know, interest rates drop, like all sorts of crazy things happen. Like that's the college savings strategy, you know, and that's what the majority of Americans are banking on when it comes to saving for money. But the other problem is, what if your kid doesn't go to college? <laughs> what if they don't want to go, especially what after they, now? <laughs> what, what if they don't? One, I mean, we can get into the whole, like, way too many Americans go to college than need to. It's just this thing you're supposed to do. And it wasn't designed for that. It was designed for very, very particular skill sets. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody else is supposed to go to trade school. But now we got all these crazy, you know, degrees in every topic, you know, that you can't do anything with. Like, it would have been better to, to be a trade school or, or learn business or something. But, um, you know, so if you end up you know, getting to that stage in your life, maybe you join the military, maybe you get scholarships, maybe you still go to college, you get scholarships, maybe you want to start a business, you know, who knows what it is, any money you've put in the 529s, you can't access it, or you can, but then you got to pay penalties on it, right? Mm-hmm. Now, so the other option is to transfer it to another kid or something like that. And it's just, you know, it just gets cumbersome given the actual value involved in all the administration and seeing if it's going to do good or anything. So that makes it very, very limiting. And there's other things like Coverdells and UGMAs and Uniform Gift Gift to Minors Act. There's other ways to give money to kids. But what we got to realize is even the 529, it wasn't invented or designed to be a, you know, save $200 a month for your kid's college. That's what a Coverdale was. Coverdale, you can put in up to $2,000 a year. I think they might have increased it. Mm-hmm. I looked at one of those in a decade. But, you know, the same deal. It's just with 529, there weren't those limitations. It was like, why are people doing that? What is it really for? It, the Coverdell was for the monthly, you know, young parents start. 529 sounded sexier, had all these other things going on with it by the states. And, you know, they started to use it for that monthly amount. But it was designed to be an estate planning tool for grandparents, for really, really, really rich grandparents, because they can put up to like $300,000 into a 529, mm. you know, which is complete opposite of starting up $200 a month, right? That's what a 529 is really designed for, just a way to gift a bunch of money to your grandkids so they don't have to pay taxes. You know, there's better ways to do that too. But when it comes to the college savings, or let's just say saving money for your kids that you eventually intend to give to them in some capacity whatsoever, you want to give them a leg up, you're that kind of a, a parent. You want to give the option, you know, whether it's for college or something else, you know, yeah, all for it. If that's your goal and your attention, it's just like everything else, whether it's, you know, the job market or just anything that they've told us is the way to do things usually means that there's a lot of limitations and they've kind of made it a blanket thing to give you know, good enough for everybody mm-hmm. versus you going and getting the best for you. Mm-hmm. Very cool. So why don't we talk about is there a better option? Is there a better way to save for your kids, not necessarily college, but future? Yeah. So actually, we designed a strategy around this. We call it the junior veteran plan or the JV plan or JV fund. And the idea is, and this isn't necessarily new, it's just there's newer technology that makes this work even better. But Mm -hmm. it's always been common for young parents to also buy some life insurance on their kid because, hey, if you're buying it on a one or two-year-old, it's super cheap. And if you get the version where it can also act as a savings vehicle, well, now you can use it for college. And, and why this works in your advantage to save for your kid is with the newer technologies, there's better investment options. So you can get more growth, but there's no risk. So you, there's no downside risk. So, so that, that's, that's the main thing with the new technologies. 
the strategy overall is still the same. You're just going to end up with more money you can access <laughs> for college or whatever you use it for. Mm-hmm. Because you know the rules are like a five two nine has to be for secondary education expenses, you know, books, dorms, food, tuition. But with an insurance strategy, you can use the cash value for anything at any time. There's no rules, and you can change ownerships and all that kind of stuff as well. So but, if you don't, so if you don't like your kids when they yeah, <laughs> when they buy get older. yourself a new car, you know, whatever. It's like yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to be limited to just that. But the other real thing around this is this is why people get mad at rich people who don't pay taxes. Mm. And it's like they're just playing by the rules that were given to them. And so one of the rules when it comes to the college savings thing, especially this day and age, because you know the government made it available for everybody to be able to go to college because they would offer guaranteed grants and loans from the government, right? And that's mm-hmm. what created the student debt, you know, crisis right, problem, right? right? But that also caused universities to say, well, geez, the government's guaranteeing these kids loans. I mean, who would give an 18-year-old $100,000 loan? It's crazy, right? But, you know, we have the government guarantee. So the colleges started upping their prices more and more. Mm. So this is why we're seeing what we have now. Right. We're talking about where people aren't justifying the price of a Zoom call to take out a $100,000 student loan. <laughs> right, like, right, right. But there's this whole loan system. And the goal is, if you can qualify for grants or very low-cost loans, yes, if you're going to pay for college, it's still better than you know trying to pay for it out of pocket in some regards. But the point is, with our strategy, you don't have to report it on the financial aid form, right? So in a lot of states, again, it depends on the state, but in a lot of states, when you go to apply for college, you're going to apply for the financial aid because if you can get some sort of deal you're going to get it. But Mm -hmm. that deal depends on how wealthy the parents look on paper, Mm. right? So if they got a bunch of savings accounts, retirement accounts, like, hey, the university says, well, that could be money used for college. And so a lot of times you have to put in five to nine money. So now that backfired because you did the right thing by saving for college. And then when it comes to the point where you want to actually use the money, they're going to use it against you in determining how much you can qualify for to get some free money, you know, some extra money from the government to help pay for college. And so when using this insurance strategy, you don't have to report, you don't even have to report insurance on your tax forms. So you don't, definitely don't have to report it on your FAFSA form. And so it's possible to basically you know, shelter assets, hide assets, whatever you want to call it. It's all in the tax code. So this is not weird. It's actually done a lot by a lot of people. And it makes you look poor on paper, right? So when you do apply for the loan, it's like, take the loan. Because now we allow that money to grow for an extra four years while the kid's in college. Mm. Then, because we can access that money tax-free. So assuming the kid's gone to college, you know, use some student loans, instead of you know, holding that student loan for 40 years, as people do now, at age 22, 23, whenever they graduate, we take the money from the insurance and immediately pay off the loan right there. And the cool thing is because we've let it marinate for a little bit longer, now we've got a nice, a nice chunk of change that can not only did you give the gift for college, but now you can give a gift for life mm. because without putting any, any new money into it or whatever, you can transfer it over to the kid. They can do whatever they want with it. And the way we design it is even if you put no money in it after the kids left college, you pass it over to them. If, if the kid didn't touch it at age 60, they'd have a million dollars, right? Yeah. And that's 
conservative estimates, you know, less than 6% growth rate, not some S&P 500. You know, that's the kind of thing that's just a much more powerful story for parents who really want to be engaged with their kids' future, uh, you know, give them the best opportunity, help them out financially without, you know, just paying for their college for four years and hoping they learn for something. You know, there's a lot more control mm-hmm. over this with this approach because it's not about college anymore. And, that, and that's got to be something people are thinking about. Is college really what I need to do, given all the new ways of getting educated, mm-hmm. finding that? And you don't have to use it just yet, just for college. You can use it for whatever you want and you, know, you can pass it around. So, you know, you still get all the same tax benefits and stuff. So it's like there's really nothing to lose by going with the more modern, flexible approach that allows you to focus not on some 18, again, it's like retirement. It's always so far away. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what if for whatever reason you needed the money when the kid's 10? Right. I mean, don't you want to be able to use it? Mm. So I have to ask this question. What's the catch? What's the catch on doing a, a different strategy? Yeah. If there is a catch, what's the catch? I mean, the only catch is potentially we wouldn't get as much growth because if if you had a perfect portfolio in a 529 and it just, you know, did awesome, you know, over the 18 years, or you caught it at the right time, mm-hmm. you know, there's potential for more upside. Our strategy gets about 80% of the upside, but without any risk. So, mm-hmm. you know, that seems like a pretty good trade-off. And usually with college savings accounts, you know, the return isn't as important as the fact that they're just saving for college. Like nobody's mm-hmm. ever came to come and said, oh man, my college accounts aren't doing well. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, but they'll say that about the retirement. Oh, my, my TSP has been doing awesome. Mm-hmm. It's like, how, why? Oh, I'm going to leave that one in the C fund because it's just been performing great. It's like the stock market's been going up inexplicably for the last 10 years. And everybody's account's going up. So it's just like thinking that the vehicle is the thing. People say, oh, my 529 is doing great. So what I'm gathering from the strategy that we have here at US Vet Wealth, you know, an alternative option for, you know, saving for your children's college slash future is that with our strategy, it provides less risk, therefore more stability, also more flexibility and more options ultimately. Did I hear that right? Yeah. I mean, the actual investment option, like when people think about building a portfolio for whatever it is the goal they're invested in, you know, they have all these different you know, thousands of mutual funds, different ways to put it in. Like mm-hmm. we just simplify the whole thing. You know, we have a couple of different options which are linked to how the market performs, again, without putting the money at risk in it. So we can get growth but it's still credited as interest. What's really happening is insurance companies, this is a stupid thing about life insurance. People misunderstand, think it's all about death. Duh, like we're gonna die. Like, I mean, just the whole conversation all over the internet. It's like, oh, you should get this amount or I can get it cheaper here. It's like, dude, it's not about that. And this is why financial planners, you know, don't grasp it. It took me 10 years to just go, holy cow. Mm-hmm. No, if you understand how these tools, vehicles, do you know how your car works? Do you really? I don't, <laughs> but I know how to drive it, mm-hmm. right? And so it's fascinating that we've been sold one story our whole life on how, what life insurance actually is. It's not about insuring someone's death. That's part of it. 
It's about ensuring the income producing potential of an individual life. Mm-hmm. Let me say that right. again. It's about ensuring the income producing potential of an individual life. So how does an individual life produce income? A thousand different ways, like so many different ways. Typically, we know the job, the salary, and return on the investment from the money we get from that salary that we invest somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Okay. So life insurance gives the option to also buy insurance on the investment. Okay. This is what's fascinating. And, And you hear about guys doing this on Wall Street all the time, but they're day trading it. And what they do is they buy options contracts. Now, instead of day trading them, which are can be very expensive and super risky, when you get long-term, one, two, three-year contracts, you know, now you're participating in the longer form of the market where returns are more stable and stuff. And so you know, that's all we're doing is not putting the money at risk and you know, the variables and trying to manage it all the time. We're just simply you know, buying the option to participate, buying insurance on the investment. So it's like we can buy insurance on the market in a way that if the market goes up, we get up to 80% of the upside. If the market goes down, we got the insurance. We just don't lose. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this becomes more about the investment growth in the strategy, mostly because we want to get the tax benefits. There's, there's not many other places other than a Roth IRA, which has limits. And limits being you can only use it for your retirement. You can only put 6000 a year in. You can do more when you're in your 50s, do some makeup. Like that's, it's just not real sexy. You can, you can only touch it when you're 59 and a half. You, know, you could do a Roth you know, 401k or TSP, same problems there. 529 is also tax-free. Municipal bonds is a tax-free thing. But other than that, and there's so much limitations around all those, both access, how you can put money in, how you can take it out. But in the insurance strategies, you can, you can use it for whatever you want, right? Mm-hmm. So at any time. And so that flexibility, we're getting the upside and we get all the tax benefits. Well, you know, that's the biggest cost. Most people are, are misled on the whole, make sure you get someone that's a fee-only financial planner or doesn't have these fees or doesn't get commissions and da 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 It's like, hey, yeah, all industries, people make money, get paid one way or the other. So there is no right or wrong. That's what's happened. There's been this dogma, this split. There's only this way. These mm-hmm. guys are the bad guys. These guys are the good guys. It's like, okay, are we really that small-minded to think, <laughs> think that way? Did you get value for what you chose to do with your money? You know, that's up to the individual to decide. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is where I've seen the industry going. I saw how the traditional story was told. I just didn't buy it. Mm-hmm. I saw new technologies coming out. I saw people misunderstanding what they are and misusing them. That was the worst. Unfortunately, I did that for a few years. I was told to kind of by my mentors and my firm, oh, so use it this way, basically, which was the same as the old way. But you know, rethought, redesigned. Now, all of a sudden, it's almost like a, a software a control panel for the f- financial aspect of your life in mm-hmm. how you can actually manage it. Because the money in it that you then use, you use that to, to reinvest Maybe it's in yourself, maybe it's in a business, maybe it's in real estate, maybe it's in your kid. Like, I don't care, but now we can actually use the money without having to take withdrawals out of our accounts that hurts future growth, right? So mm-hmm. there's a lot more upside in this modern, you know, this JV plan approach than just the kind of set it forget. Well, I guess we're going to college in 18 years. That's better. Yeah. 
<laughs> Thank you for wrapping up season two with me. I really appreciate your time as I always do, especially just the knowledge and the expertise and experience that you have in the financial industry with our military families specifically and veterans. Let's talk a little bit about maybe closing thoughts, like how people can take action. Like if they're ready to maybe even inquire, how would they be able to get a hold of us? Easiest thing to do would be to just email us. <laughs> Hit me up at Scott at US Vet Wealth or of course you get Jen. Yeah, Jen, J-E-N at usvetwealth.com. And hit us up on LinkedIn, of course, is a great way to chat. But if you go to our website, usvetwealth.com, you can book a consultation right there on the website. Just kind of put in the notes that you heard the podcast and you wanted to chat a little bit about what the strategy might look like. We'll probably just do a webinar, invite folks to it if we get in a lot of interest. Because it's, it's actually, when you start seeing the numbers and the story played out, it's quite powerful and shocking, <laughs> but it'll piss you off a little bit, unfortunately. Yeah, it's like, yeah. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying anybody's doing anything wrong or there's the wrong way or whatever. It's just you're making a choice right now to either do that one or do nothing. Mm. Or now with new information, maybe your choice is to now start doing this one also. Mm. I mean, it doesn't you can decide how you want to use these. They're just assets. Assets right. are assets. Assets have different rules and different ways you can use them. You got to treat them like an asset, not like a supposed to do. Yeah. Or like saving for your funeral, <laughs> like how most people see uh, life insurance. So thank you so much for taking the time to really, I think, change the conversation around life insurance and how most of us perceive it and assume what it is. I also want to add that we do have a one sheet or some marketing material about the JV fund. So I'll have that provided in the show notes. Lastly, I thought we just kind of do a shameless plug-in for your podcast show, Scott. So why don't you talk just a little bit briefly? And this is really more so geared more toward our veterans. But why don't you talk a little bit about your podcast show, Wealth and Liberty? Oh, thanks. Yeah. So Wealth and Liberty is basically me speaking to myself you know, 10 years ago about the concepts of identity, self-development, and financial control, and how important those are, you know, really being responsible to build those skills and you know, not follow the herd. Right. Um, and of course, you're tying it into what's going on right now in the modern economy. It's like one of the things I know we did a bunch of episodes on was LinkedIn. Like you want to talk about any financial wealth creation tool ever invented, you know, stocks, bonds, gold, mutual funds, business. I mean, the best tool I believe is LinkedIn because it gives you the opportunity right now, today, to start building a personal brand and network with basically anybody in the world at your fingertips. Now, you got to be good at it to attract attention and stuff. But when you do, then that's how you create opportunity. You don't know what that means financially, but typically that means your network equals your net worth mm -hmm. is what I've always heard before. So you define how big you want those numbers to be. You don't have to be that big at all. But now if you have the freedom to live the lifestyle that you want, you have mobile income or assets that you can live anywhere, work virtually if you want, but you know, basically align that source of income with some source of purpose, because I, I fear two things. One, every day, you know, we're losing veterans who for whatever reason didn't have the purpose to be around anymore. And that's, mm. that's sad, but, but also as importantly, because I think those same veterans had the financial control to 
you know, dust themselves off, not rely on the government to help fix them, to go do whatever resources that they needed, if whether that was medically, mentally, or just the ability to go spend their days doing stuff that they want or a job that they wake up super passionate about. I think that puts more veterans and military spouses, for that matter, in positions of leadership in our economy because they've attained a sense of wealth and liberty. And, and that wealth is simply defined as, you know, money is just a creation of the ability to free up your time, what limited time you do have. That's the true resource to, you know, go do whatever it is you need to do or want to do or have to do, um, whether it's a calling, a need to fix something or, you know, whatever. I just think this is the big problem. Our country right now needs that sort of, you know, honest, duty bound leadership that isn't political just bolt BS or you know, some sort of you know, media talking point like we need. But but if we're stuck in cubicles or in jobs or listening to somebody else and we have no you know, vision to break away from that, to go figure out how you can participate to serve those you meant to serve, you know, that's what our country needs. We need more of us. There's nobody better than the 1% who served our country to become the 1% who influence it. I just feel it's necessary right now and it's my duty to you know, try to share this message and find some other folks who say, yeah, I'm not happy with the way I was told to live my life or currently live in it or how I have a relationship with this damn thing called money and it's all about getting rich. And it's like, it doesn't have to be about any of that. There's no rules. And you know, that's what liberty is about. And we need to own those principles more and more now more than ever. Fantastic. Well, Scott, thanks again for joining me on my show, Holding Down the Fort, and for being part of the catalyst, including our colleagues at US Fed Wealth for having started the show to begin with. To our listeners, if you are looking for any of the resources we shared throughout this conversation, that'll be provided in the show notes of this episode, or you can visit the website, holdingdownthefortpodcast.com. With that said, we hope that today's episode gave you one more piece of knowledge, resource, or relevant story so you can continue to make confident and informed decisions for you and your family. Until then, we look forward to speaking with you in the next episode. Tune in next time.